are listening to Chugga Talk with Ryan Murphy, a podcast by Pull Across Made Simple. Hello, friends. This episode is brought to you by Saucy Farm. Located in Wiggins, Mississippi, they're the premier Australian stock horse stud in North America. Proudly standing are Ballandown Zorro, Hayden Satellite, and Stonebrook Finno. Ballandown Zorro has fresh, cooled semen with a live full guarantee. Hayden Satellite and Stonebrook Finno have a limited supply of frozen semen. Special has been that once-in-a-lifetime voice that people only dream of having. His athleticism, heart, and love for the game of second to none. We've been so fortunate to have him as our own, and a major part of our development as players as well as horsemen has most certainly been because of him. He has definitely raised the bar in terms of expectations and standards that we have of our own horses and how we go about bringing them into the game. Playmate picked up on full across so quickly and has been my main playing horse since 2013 carrying me from local and national tournaments to international tours and exchanges. Her athleticism and power, despite her petite stature, blow me away each time I'm able to meet a once turn in the 30 or avoid pressure in the midfield. There's no question about the success of these incredible studs for producing machines on the field, and I look forward to seeing the development of these lines in the future. I'm so happy that the Saucies are continuing the work of Marilyn Murphy in promoting the Australian stock horse, which is truly the breed for every need. Hi, this is Dana Deemer. I and my family own Keystone Silhouette. She's a 15-year-old black Australian stock horse first cross by Ballandown Zorro. I would say the thing that she brings to the table is her incredible athleticism. She has the best footwork coming up to a jump of any horse that I've seen in a long time. She's bold cross country. She's bold in stadium. Saucy Farm and Australian stock horses, a breed for every need. You can find them on Facebook or call 228-263-0930. Are you a pull across related business? Chucka Talk has a truly global audience. To learn more about advertising here, email me at ryan at polocrossmadesimple.com. Space is limited. Personal fitness is so important in a sport of polocross. Although we can't all look like Stefan Harris, we could all be working towards our own fitness goals. I've learned through personal experience that having a community of friends that share their fitness and nutrition ideas and activities truly can motivate others to follow suit. A rising tide raises all the ships in the harbor. Please join the American Polo Cross Association's fitness community today on Facebook groups. It's called American Polo Cross Fitness Group. It's hosted by the APA's Player Development Program and open to members worldwide. If you see Steph Harris, please encourage him to join for abs motivation. Again, it's a Facebook group called American Polo Cross Fitness Group. Get pumped! On this episode of Chugga Talk, you'll meet Jim Grills, Australian team representative, world champion player. We discuss a recap of the Baragoon sale. We also discuss Baragoon's unique training style and Jim's unique approach to the game. You don't want to miss this one. Here on Chugga Talk, the goal is to shrink the pull across world by connecting people together, and most importantly, to provide education by interviewing players from all over the world. So listen closely and enjoy. Hey, going, Mike? How's it going? Hey, good. Sorry, we're late. No, that's all right. Looks like you're in the same spot that your parents were on for the podcast. Yeah, yeah. That's why I was late. I was organizing Sarah to uh, come put the Zoom meeting on. I'm excited about you know, having this time with you. I really appreciate you coming on. It's not every day you get a world champion that you get to interview like this. I promise there's no Zoom bombs. Uh, you're safe. No one's calling <laughs> in to, to heckle you. I've got this question that I just need to get it out of the way. I have this friend, Robbie Shuttles, but on his Facebook, it says Rob Shuttles. I think he had to grow up eventually, and he's trying to make himself Rob. So are you Jim or Jimmy? Oh, I'm actually I'm actually James. So. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. When I'm in a good mood, I'm Jimmy. And when I'm in a bad mood, I'm Jim. <laughs> I'll call you, uh, I'll call you, I'll call you Jimmy. Let's start off with the sale. Let's talk about that. How did, how did it go? Just sort of give me a rundown. How that yeah, happened. well, um, 
it was um, it was massive, probably a lot bigger than we thought, and had a lot more crowd numbers than what we thought as well. And the the incentive side of it, and with the polo cross and the camp draft, really um, like everyone that was there sort of had a real good vibe. And then the standard of um, the horses in the polo cross, um, I know there was probably two stronger teams and two weaker teams, but um, the standard of all the horses the whole way through was um, it was pretty good to watch. And then and then to see all those polo cross horses transfer over into the um, camp draft was a really good thing for obviously outside people of the polo cross to, to look at the horses can go from one sport and then go over to camp draft and do really well over there. And, um, and then obviously I think it brought a few numbers in that um, like a few camp drafters that are now going to have a go at the polo cross next year. So obviously um, help that way and grow on the sport as well as um, showing off obviously our breed and a few other um, clients that we got that, had um, horses eligible to go on the outside vendors that also all their horses performed pretty well as well. How many polo cross horses went into the camp draft? I think there was, so there was 50, there was 58 altogether. And I reckon there would have been out of the, there was, I think there was 42 playing horses there on the weekend. I reckon there would have been 35 of them going to the camp draft. And um, I think the horse that won, it was Dog Willie Coco, which um, Matt Davison rode and Abby Finlayson owned. She played it, it played in the polo cross as well as the camp draft. So I guess the big question I have is uh, what was the top sale, top sale value? Uh, top sales value went to um, Hayden Turnbull and it was 48,000. Mm. So, and then um, our top price was 40,000. So, um, yeah, the sale numbers, as in price wise, increased massively on what we would had before. I think our average was around five in the previous sales and it jumped up to 10 this year. So, and I think we're sort of we're thinking we're putting that down to the incentive and man, that's that's huge. That's a that's a big value. I guess do you have the number in your head of what the total sales were? I mean, uh, I think number? yeah, I think there will be a report that comes out. So so for us and the outside um, sales, and this is just a, this is not exact. Um, I think it was around six hundred and fifty thousand for mm. the both our outside vendors and Berrigan together. And um, and then our I think ours was around three hundred and fifty one, whereas we're usually around the two hundred mark. Mm. And um, I think that talking to Ray White and GTSM, we took three percent out of Berrigan sales and outside vendor sales to jackpot the pool for next year. So we're already sitting at um, twenty thousand dollars worth of prize money um, for the incentive next year. So hopefully we'll keep growing that every year. Yeah. That's huge. In this sale, you had a lot of horses from the World Cup, right? It was a, a year and a, a year and three quarters that you uh, you held on to these horses, right? Yeah. Yep. So that obviously that probably raised their value because they were in the World Cup. Will that lower your numbers for next year, or are you going to be hustling just as hard to get the horses in the next next year? Yeah. So we're in a bit of a um, in a period where we were thinking about moving the sale out to home and having the sale on grounds at um, out at Mandang, which is and stud but um yeah i think i think the standard horses will still be there they might not be have played exactly the level but some of the we're getting into a period now where we've got a lot of ready to go horses with um that are ready to play and and should be playing but we're getting to a point where we can't play like 30 horses between five of us but what we're really doing now as well is bringing a lot of young people to Berrigan and um, trying to get people playing our horses that way. So then a fair few of them are getting the opportunity to, to come and play. And then the horses are getting the opportunity to play as well, not just sitting in the, in the yard as my sixth reserve or Katie's fourth reserve and stuff like that. Yeah, we talk about multi-horse, which has a has a place, but I find that you need multi-grooms for multi-horse. So yeah, it's it's uh, keeping them legged up and all that. Yeah, I can see. It's a nice problem to have, I'm sure. Yeah, it's not too bad. It just yeah, um, can cause a bit of a headache when you've got 10 stalls and 30 horses in the yard and you've got 10 people running every way. But um, once you get out there and playing them, it's a lot of fun. Well, what are you looking for for next year? You said moving it over to your place. Uh, is there anything else that you're looking to change? Yeah, obviously just make it just to, like we're going to have a meeting with the Ray White guys and GTSM, which is um, our partners for the incentive. Um, they've got a few ideas and a few other things that we want to sort of put in place, but really just keeping the quality of horse, horse flesh there and giving the option to people because there was obviously a lot of buyers wanting ready-to-go horses. So we'll try and keep producing those horses for people and um, and then, yeah, but we are really thinking about probably leaving at Holbrook 
for the next few years as it grows, just because you're closer to town, the facilities there are very good and, um, yeah, it's it's obviously worked there. So we'll keep going there for a little while, I think. Because of COVID, the whole Swan Cup didn't happen, but it's going to happen this year. How are they different? They're just the other, they're the other one. I can't think of a third one that's going on like this. But are there going to be more popping up? And um, how, are, how is your sale different than them? I think the uniqueness with the camp draft and the polo cross changing over. And I think with the obviously already having the pool of horses that have been through the sale. So it limits your numbers in the fact that you had to have brought already through the sale to be eligible to play. So there was a little system there. So it's pretty unique in the fact that you have to have got a horse from through that, through the Berrigan sale to be able to play in the competition and limits your numbers. Um, so that's sort of one thing. And then obviously the crossing over with the camp draft, but yeah, really keen to see how the Swan Cup goes. Um, we'll, we'll definitely have a team together to go there. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it goes with the first few when um, with having open horses and how the competition will evolve into combining with the sale up there. How did the whole lockdown of the borders, how did that affect? I'm sure there was a bit of a scare, right? Um, yeah, definitely. It definitely was a big scare. I think we were partying at Deb's place and all out. So Matt Davison and um, Byron Davison, they'd all just come down from Queensland. Marty O'Sullivan and Davo's worker, Olivia, they'd all just arrived and we had our crew here and everyone was getting pretty charged and happy and ready to get ready to get buy into the sale. And it was about 10 o'clock and the borders had shut at Victoria on New Year's night. And anyway, so then we've left Deb's pool and come up to the top house where Sarah and Charlie are having dinner and you could do a pin drop. So oh God. <laughs> trying to work out whether the whole show was going to be shut down. But um, we really want to make a point of, of playing. Like we lost the Victorian team, which would have made the competition massive, but it turned out a very good competition anyway. But yeah, we really want to make a point of if we can run, we're definitely going to run because we want to get Polacross going again and show sort of the the other clubs and um, people around the state and country that you can work through COVID if um, you go through the right guidelines. So how did that affect people getting home that weren't from New South? Because I was joking with Jeremy. I said, I said, oh my gosh, it's going to have to turn into, uh, you'll have to be doing livery for these horses. We're going to be hanging around. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. So yeah, I think, um, I think the Vicks, obviously they couldn't come at all unless they wanted to do two weeks hotel quarantine. Um, But obviously there's, so there's the border bubble where, um, we can cross over into a donga and people could pick up. So there was a few changeovers of horses that way. Um, so they get their horse home. But yeah, I don't think um, we had any really Victorians come up. The, the, the ones that had the sale, that had horses in the sale, they um, they just sent them up and we put them through for them. There's just a, such big name players and these horses are just phenomenal. It's such a horse first game uh, to be competitive. I'm just curious, does it become necessary that you're in certain bloodlines to even be competitive, which is hard to ask because obviously you're biased towards this. And how often do you see horses that come from not necessarily the right bloodlines that make top horses? I'm just curious because obviously you're selling horses and you're winning everything. Uh, um, Yeah, so I reckon, yeah, exactly. Uh, Obviously, we want to promote the bloodline. You obviously got a better consistent chance of having a very good horse if you follow a bloodline and you know what you not to know what to expect when you buy that bloodline but it's like probably charlie and sarah oh, we all rate her as our best mare we've ever had is ravers and we stumbled on her on a she was she was a racehorse and sarah and charlie stumbled on her in um out in penrith and brought her home for i think 500 dollars and she's probably been the the marquee horse in our stable for a long time and we're still trying to get embryos out of us. So you can stumble on the right horse without the, with just picking it out of a hat, but it could be a needle in a haystack. You could be looking for years or you could be lucky and come up with that. But I think if you go with the bloodlines, it's that if you're going with a bloodline, it's proven. So that's probably where, where I'd be going because at least you know, you know what you're buying and you know what you, you're going to get from your horse. Yes. Uh, you know, and my mom, she brought over the Australian stock horses. Uh, Bowing Down Zora was the first one. Started the Keystone Stud. The, the temperament, easy, you know, they're so easy to, uh, to train and so smart and everything. But it's a whole other level there. I mean, we're, we just have make sure we have stock horses here, but we don't have as many, obviously. So 
my question is, you know how Dolfo Cambiasso has those cloned horses and all that, and they all yeah, have very yeah. similar personalities. Do you find that in your bloodlines that uh, you have, you talk about consistency, that their personalities yeah. are similar, or is it like you and Lucy, just totally different? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah, definitely. Definitely, <laughs> that's the, the first one. So definitely, the, um, like, if you get... I've got a line of lipstick. So lipstick was my under 21 there. She took me through under 21s and then um, probably played her two seasons in senior competition. And she's probably one of the best mares I've had underneath me. And then obviously they've stepped up to Beaches and Scarlet now. But I've got a line of her horses underneath me, which there's, I think I've got six mares out of her by nearly all different stains. And they've all got the feel of lipstick. Um, they've obviously got their own little bits and pieces of the stain in there. So... A lipstick gigolo, a lipstick conjures man, a lipstick Buick, lipstick expose, and they're all very similar and turn around the same way. So obviously I draft them my pen straight away that way, but then obviously you go. Ravers probably throws a few different um different ones in there, but um and then Halley's probably very similar to the lipstick. A lot of the Halleys are very similar. And yeah, so yeah, there's definitely horses that um they, they seem like clones once you get down to six. Your parents talked about how there's such a, uh, it gets a little contentious as far as which ones you're going to keep for yourself. Where does Abbott fall into that progression? <laughs> is he is he third or is, does he have the same stake as you? <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting. Abbott's just about to move back up to um, Armadale. So oh. no, Ab- Abbott's um, got percussion when she was young. So she, he was meant to actually play a mare up at um, called Harmony at the Nationals and she she heard her 10 at the week out. So Abbott jumped on her as a six-year-old. So that's how that sort of story started there. And he won the 2012 Nationals at Warwick there. Mm. And um, obviously it was an easy, obviously an obvious option to keep him on her now for the rest of those years. But yeah, Abbott sort of, um, he, he really gets the, gets whatever we whatever we send his way really <laughs> yeah that's probably still that's obviously still a top horse and where does katie fall into that <laughs> um yeah well katie's got a bit more pull over me than abbott so. <laughs> <laughs> so i think she's got a sight set on beaches this year so um it looks like i'll be stepping i'll be sending beaches her way and i'll step onto um a young mare which is out of lipstick which will be a floozy jiggle mm-hmm. and um scarlet scarlet bucks a little bit too much so I'll keep her in my pen and jump down to Floozy and start bringing her along. Before we move on, is there anything else about the sale that was significant that you want people to know or maybe a little story they didn't hear? I was meant to do this, um, have a chat with Glasser about this sort of stuff this afternoon, but um, I think we covered most of it. Just, um, yeah, um, just trying to grow it. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll bring it back to you if we do. <laughs> well, oh, Stevie Bowen. Um, the commentary with Stevie Bowen. I think uh, there's been a lot of comments about that. And yeah, I think there's polycross shows that just got to have Stevie Bowen involved with the music and the vibe of the whole carnival was probably one of the massive things. How many polycross tournaments has he done? So we started with Stevie. And so obviously in Africa, they set, set the stand in 2015 with. Um, their music after a few choice goals and big goals. They had the DJ there and a few few little snippets. And then uh, we obviously wanted to bring that back to the Nationals in 2016. And um, Stevie obviously was there and went way, way overboard to what we thought he was going to go and it worked. So then he got in with Harry Kirk. He got the job for uh, 2016 Nationals, then Perth Nationals, and then also all our Aubrey carnivals in between with the silver stirrup and Australian selections and stuff like that. And then obviously we wanted to make sure there's a good vibe there before the sale on Sunday. And obviously Sarah's a little bit hesitant um, with um, us putting a lot more money back into Polacross before we obviously made some on the Sunday. So it was a little bit of a worry with all our costs going out, but me and Lucy sort of stuck together and pulled the trigger on making sure we got Stevie. And um, I think, Stevie really made the whole show, so we've already locked him in for next year. And um, that's great. Yeah. So is he high profile over there? Yeah, massive, massive around our community. Probably not around the whole um, whole polycross community. Obviously, wherever Harry Kirk goes, um, he generally tries to take Stevie with him because um, obviously he knows how good he is. But around our community, he's yeah, he's definitely booked up nearly eight months in advance. And I was pretty lucky. I only called him probably two months ago and because we have a bit of a relationship there already, he um, 
came out at work. When we were watching, when we, when we did the watch party, me and Jeremy, Robbie and Raul, um, I don't know if you heard it, but we were basically, um, we appreciate the, the live because we were there, right? It's just sometimes we couldn't see certain players. We're like, is that Chris? Is that Mitch? We're like, we were wrong most of the time. But no, it was really cool to be able to see that. And I know that if you step it up a notch, it's going to cost more money. I think that was great to have that as well. There's so, to get so many more people involved. I hope the next World Cup, they can somehow figure out how to afford that. I know it's, it's hard to match work, but people that can't come and, you know, getting people involved is huge. So, uh, so that was a good idea to do the Facebook live. Yeah, that was all. That's sort of Lucy's background. She um, takes control of all our, like you would have seen sale videos and all the stuff on Facebook and the sale live. So yeah, Lucy takes control of that and I'm sure she'll be, um, She'll be on to getting a bit better, a bit better camera for next year. No, it was fine. I'm not complaining. I'm just, it was great. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, that's surprised right. to, to watch. No, definitely. We want, we want people to be able to see as well, though. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I want to move on to training. I, we'll get into polo cross and how you approach the game, but um, I want to just briefly talk about how you train the horses and. If you could go into a little more detail, because your dad said that your horses go fast before they go slow. Would you explain that a little bit more detail? Yeah, just a little touch on I brought in all our cults this morning and started to give them a bit of a run. And I don't know about my training. I got thrown off the first one. So <laughs> that was this morning. But, yeah, if you go back to where we all start, we um, we did a lot of learning through Gerald O'Brien and he's been massive for our horses. And he, um, he always taught us that we're playing a, a sport with speed. So horses, we want to keep horses' minds while they're at speed very composed. So it's like, like any sort of elite player, you've got to be composed in a fast situation. So obviously if they know how to go fast from a very young age and they can be composed in their mind, then they're gonna they're obviously gonna be top horses. So realistically we come in, we we mouth them on the ground. Um, we obviously do their bending first on the ground with the roller on and then um, it's sort of a three-step thing. You do that sort of three times and unless obviously there's a problem and you need to do it a few more. That's like three sets through a day. So you're nearly, that's sort of your, your whole half your first day and then and then the next day you, you start on your turning. So you're starting to just get the horse to drop their, drop their nose and then start to move their feet and then we go into um, backing them. And um, so that's obviously driving reins on them. A um, few different, like there's obviously... Me and so Matt Davison obviously comes down for all um, all our breaking ins and he's he's one of our best trainers uh, for polo cross in Australia and um, he's my best mate so we obviously work together a lot and he's obviously another bit of him and Gerald are a massive praise for where our horses have got to on the on the training level um, but everyone's got a few little different things um, so then we get to the backing stage and um, that's where we start to really start to put some pressure on on the horses is in like um, we chase them into the bit. They're nearly cantering out of gate and blocking them um, before even, you know, that's about day two, about halfway through the night. Um, or about three o'clock in the afternoon, day two. Um, so yeah, they're, they're chart like putting a lot of pressure on them. And then we want them to take, take the pressure and come off it and back, back in the gate. And then obviously the next step we bag down and, and jump on them and their first few rides are very very um light like trotting around stop trot around stop turn into the fence do all that in a small round yard and then um and then we um obviously the second rides into into our big round yard um which is so our big round yards probably 20 by 20 and our small round yards probably 10 by 10 um and then so they get about three rides in there over the course of um day two and three and then sort of at the end of day three, we're heading up through the yards, up through the sheds, just getting a bit of steering one each rain, just no real stopping at this point because we want to save our stop for, like Charlie said, um, for that big run up the hill where they start to learn that they can run as fast as they like. But once they settle and come back to us and we look for that good stop, um, so they're happy to work at speed. And when they know we pull on their mouth, they, um, they come off it. So... So end of day three, yeah, sort of working them up through the sheds, putting a bit of steering on them so you can at least get the horse to the hill before you press the gallop button. Um, and then and then obviously once you get to the hill, you just let the horses float out. You've got a lead horse either side of you so it's all safe and then send it up the hill as, as far as it wants to run. Um, 
and then once it, once you'll feel a give, it's like not, not necessarily a give in the bit, but a give in the horses, the way they want to run up the hill. Like a lot of them will just power on through, um, and then you'll feel a change in their legs, and then then you'll slow down and give them a stop. And if the stop's neat and nice, and they give to the bit, then that's pretty much their floating process done. And it's just back to the yards, and um, then they'll will probably on the Thursday and Friday just give them. Um, just some rides up the hill in a big group and then sort of by the end of that Friday, once they've had a few big rides, that's their breaking process done until, and then we probably tip them out for either, well, if they don't come back to the sale, they'll be out for six months to eight months. And then if they come back to the sale, they get two months off and then back in work for the sale. So that's, yeah, that's just the breaking in process. So, and then all the hard stuff starts after that. Appreciate that. I've never heard, heard of that, that, that plan. Another benefit that uh, your parents talked about was that they were together with other horses in the bigger arena, right? So they're running around. Yeah. Yep. So they're, they feel comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, since we've got our arena now, we, um, we, so yeah, there's a little step in between the, um, the one up the hill now that we've just sort of put in the last two to three years is um, we float them in there as well. So we probably go down with three horses and they all have a lead horse each. So you've got your lead horse on your inside of you and then you've got the arena fence on the outside and you've got a 70 by 40 metre arena and we're doing hot laps until the same thing these horses give and you've got horses behind you in front of you and they're starting to work through traffic at, at that young age. So so once you get on the field, obviously, they're, they're not too worried about all the traffic around them and um, they're going at pace already. So when you when you've got to get out fast and get that ball and then you pull on their head and say, stop, they come back to you pretty quickly. Your facilities are top notch for sure. Is there anything in your facility that you'd like to have that you don't have? Um, so, uh, yeah, I just, um, so we're cutting out, we're just about to cut out our, our field. I think we might've talked about that last time. Um, yeah. There's obviously been a little bit of hold up to that with um, the weather being too soft and now too hot. And now that man missed his, missed his window, but, um, yeah, just um, no, not really. I wouldn't mind a horse walker, but um, <laughs> I wouldn't recommend them. I think we're about to put in a swimming pool um, just to take pressure off the joints and a few few horses that um, like eating a bit much over the Christmas period. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, to take some weight off them that way. Um, but, yeah, just um, the only thing we – yesterday I got, got all our crew down there. We've got a pretty big crew here at the moment helping out, and uh, we built a – the camp drafters use a little bit different method to um, – it's probably like a bit of a cutting thing. We build a pen six by six metres in the middle and then um, a big pen around the outside so I could start teaching my um, stains to, to cut out in the, for, for the camp draft. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so a little pen like that wouldn't be too bad, but I think um, – I, I don't think Charlie's going to allow me to have that. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Yeah, such a, a top top notch facility, and uh, seems like it's just getting better and better. If you had that that pool, you'd definitely be stepping up a notch. You could probably sell uh, time slots for that thing. There's also those chambers where they have cold and warm. I've I've seen that as well. And I know that you just have so much. I don't know. I don't know how you do it with the crew that you have, but you run how many cattle on that place? Yeah, I, uh, oh, the numbers are getting up to around three to five hundred. Yeah. So, okay, so you've got that, and then you have to treat the horses like cattle because you have so many of them, and yeah. so you you do accelerate your training and your time with them. But <clears throat> there doesn't seem to be any uh, downside to that. Uh, it's almost as if if you spread that out over months, they might learn some bad habits in there. So it seems like your your system works. It's just amazing how you do it so quickly. But but with the number of horses that you have, it's just amazing. Yeah, and like I know talking to Davo and. Um, and and Sarah and Gerald and all them like with our, our it's like higher volume but then obviously if the horse finishes right they generally come back in better than they went out like go and let them freshen their minds up and then they generally come back in so it's yeah it's it sort of works for us like obviously the the workload um, with the cows and the breeding in Sarah's shed um, you went from how many horses to how many now um, so what are you at now <laughs> oh, it'd be very similar because obviously we sold 35, but there's 35 new foals, uh, or oh. maybe 37. So we might be too short of what we had before the sale, but obviously they're foals at foot. So obviously they're not um, taking up as much space yet. Um, Plus you've so, got yeah. all the outside horses, right? 
got all the outside. There'd be about 60 to 80 outside mares, which they'll be starting to go now um, as well. So that'll lighten the numbers off just because we're heading into our period where there's obviously not as much feed. So we're actually starting to feed a lot of horses now. So mm. that's sort of the reason why the sale is in January, start of January is because then we don't have to carry all those foals and ridden lots through till March when we have no feed because that's a massive expense trying to feed that amount of extra mouths. Yeah, I hate to I hate to jinx it. Is your area less drought prone than other areas? <laughs> um, oh, we, we're obviously not as bad as some areas of Australia, but obviously it's dry now. Like if I showed you out the window, yeah, there's um, it's starting to get to the point. We had a massive season, so there's a lot of grass there, but it's all a lot of dead grass. And obviously with the paddocks, we've up to there's some paddocks with 60 to 80 horses in there. Mm. Obviously, they get chewed out pretty quick. And then obviously we've got the cows around the back, which um I went around there yesterday. They're all doing pretty well. Um, um there'd be yeah, I would have there would have been 300 cows around there. Um, and they were doing pretty well. But yeah, obviously the horses with. 80 in them in this main valley so around the back we got so we got we're, we're in a big valley and um around the back we've got a big dog leg of country which is probably 15 probably 1500 acres out there mm. um and then so that's where all our, our cattle run pretty much we don't see them for much of the year and then obviously wieners and um the younger cows stay back um back in the main valley so obviously a lot smaller paddocks so they um we move them around a lot more let's get into polo cross and and strategy how you approach the game because your dad said that you take a lot of your sports mentality from other sports that you play um and you apply it to polo cross he says there's never a game you don't think you can win and you're great at maximizing your teammates for success yeah so obviously massive football background and um that comes back to um, a young age, I played pretty high level when I was a young age and they obviously spoke a lot about the mental side of things and it's something I liked to listen to, like I was very interested in it. Um, and then obviously I had a coach, Jared Twitt, and then moved into Chris Hyde and um, Sean Daly and all those guys were massive on winning your key moments. So like a lot of a lot of football stuff I've sort of tried to transfer over to, um, over to my pole across um, as in like, so winning key moments, like example, there could be, there, there's just like, you, you'll know the stage in a game and when you can recognise that stage in a game where you need to either just put this goal on the board or you need to win a lineup and stuff like that. If you can win those key moments of a game, you generally, you'll generally find a way to win the game. So, so I, I'm massive on that and that's what I rate, pretty much rate my game on and rate, rate, um, rate other players on as well is how good you are in those game winning moments because in the end that's that's all we play for. We can get the score to sixteen all and then it's the bloke who who'll get the who gets the chocolates is what we all talk about. It's not the, it's obviously we need the whole team to get there to get you there. But um if you can't get the job done in that clutch situation then you don't get anything out of it anyway. So it's sort of like a statistic I mean I think about basketball and Joy Poole talked about this. Team goes down and scores, makes it, goes down and scores. And then when, if you miss it, then the score goes like this, right? It's, and it can make such a big difference uh, when you're making those mistakes. And it's not, maybe not exactly what you're talking about, but I can see how when your percentage is low, it can have a huge impact on the game. So when it comes to those moments, is it you making a change in that moment? You saying the right thing to your teammate or do you, is it just like a, a personal thing for you? It's all about what can I do? No, definitely. I'm all about I'm all about my like my whole team, obviously. But if you, if we're going out there as a chucker, we all need to be on exactly the same page. So I play a lot with um, with Matt Davison, um, and then obviously we have a few different twos that come in between us in that bigger stuff. Um, but re- like we know, and we're talking every lineup, so we understand we understand when those moments are coming about and we know we talk to each other about when we have to win them. But if you go back to, and I didn't, that's why I sort of, I had an example, but I didn't really want to go there, but they're all me mates. So I'll, I'll put it in there. Um, obviously on the weekend, um, Davo's team was um, up by six goals, probably midway through the midway through the fourth chucker. Um, and realistically, um, looking in that weekend, we looked like the game could have been done there when they were six up and 
uh, Davo's team won two lineups and didn't score, and that brought the game back to um, to a four goal deficit. So, realistically, in that in that game, that was probably the moments where we, we they just had to get a goal, and that puts it that puts it out to eight instead of four. So, they're sort of the moments that you yeah you want to recognise. But um, yeah, it's definitely having everyone on the same page, like. Um, working with Davo, he knows which side I want the ball to go to him. He knows when he has to win it. He knows when I'm going to try and win it or if he's struggling somewhere. Um, so communication helps in those moments, um, being settled and relaxed. Like, um, yeah, so it, like Davo will know if we're going out to the last chucker, his job's to get two balls. You don't want to say, right, Davo, you got to go and get me six because then that's too much pressure on one play. So you sort of got to spread the load and um, be confident in each other that you're going to get the job done for each other. But you must be superhuman because your dad talked about that game where he played with you and you scored six, right? Or your dad, you, you said, Dad, I need, you, I need you to get me this many out of the lineup, right? <laughs> Didn't you score yeah. six goals or something and win the game? Yeah, we um, – so, yeah, well, but Lucy and Charlie – Lucy got me two, I got two, and Charlie got two. We're down by two, and it was the first money comp, so – and it was massive because it was the first time we actually stepped out as Barry Groom with six grillses. And um and it's something you talk about, but I don't I don't like it's it's a funny thing. We I had a we had a very similar situation a few oh, a few months ago. It was nearly the last time we played. And at that point in time, we weren't me and Lucy, Charlie, all the grillses, we weren't big names in the Polycross world, but at some point in time, you're gonna make a name for yourself. So so if there's any young bloke that comes into my team and we're in trouble, well, what are people going to remember? They're going to remember when, when whoever it is comes out and puts on six goals against who, who are rated some of the best players in the world and wins the game. So um, that's why I always think you can win and I always will back, back yourself in because who knows what can happen. You can be like I was back then, an 18-year-old. Well, I think I was 17. Charlie was... 45 and Lucy was 19 and we're playing against some of the best in the country and we come out and put 6-2 on them in the last and win 10 grand so and then that's obviously where we started to climb our tree and I think anyone can do that if if they put the time in and um, listen to the right people and have respect and want to learn. So when, when someone starts losing it and they just I don't know they're deflated right the goal is to stay positive right so is there a time when you can say something direct that might be personal to them. I don't know. How do you handle those type of situations? Yeah, well, hopefully you never find yourself too far behind. <laughs> but, um, yeah, obviously, yeah. And don't get me wrong, there's been time like, it's it, there is times where stuff's out of your control and, and people will have that problem. But it's just a similar thing. It's like a lot of people get, if you're down by six, get, a rush of blood, we've got to get six in a chucker to get it back. Whereas like, if you look at a game and you, you're down by six at half time, you've got 18 minutes. Realistically, that's win three chuckers by two goals. So um, it's probably, it's probably not been in a rush to get back quickly. And it's just same thing back to communication and, and spreading the load. If, if you two can get your two balls, if you three can get your two balls and, and if you one can find a way to get two balls, then that's six goals and you're really going to have, more guys it's, it's funny because your your computer says what time it is did you hear that <laughs> yeah every it time sounds like we've been hacked but it's it's just a thing <laughs> i've had people say what was that and i was like i don't know i've been hacked but no that's just your computer um so don't freak out people um <laughs> okay so that's a great uh way to think about it you sort of segment the game when you're down think about that next play have confidence in your teammates I don't know. It's not just stay positive, but I like how you say, don't just put it, you know, don't put it all on yourself, spread the, spread the responsibility. I used to always say it's good when, you know, we don't always have six man teams here just because we're not as big. And so I was like, if it's a six, if it's two sections, I can always blame the other section. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But but that's, you know, that's the opposite of the right, right attitude. But, um, but it it does take a whole team. And that, that is right. But there is a time for, like if it's, if someone's trying to harvest and and they're doing their best, but there is a time for when people do make mistakes that are sometimes unacceptable, and obviously you do have to address that in a way that's probably not a, not not as positive. But it's it it probably is a positive in the fact that you're demanding a better performance from them or a better 
better skill-based thing or whatever it was in that time. It's not a negative thing that they probably made the mistake, but it's just making sure they know that they're better than that and they need to do it better the next time they do it, whether it's a pick-up out the back or a hit-down or a silly play, like, in, the, in whatever time in the game it was. I remember watching the incentive games and uh, I saw Will Weston giving some nice direct passes. Jeremy even made uh, made a comment, the unit made a comment that he threw the ball when the one was ready and didn't wait till he got to the line. So I saw that happening, you know, and it's high percentage, but are you seeing that more and more than you used to as far as releasing the ball more? Yeah, definitely. It's, you know, it, and it comes back to, the African teams from 2011-15, they've, show, they've shown a new way to play the game and a way that um, can save horses. Obviously, you've got to have a better skill base. You've got to be able to bounce. You've got to be able to catch. Um, but as as they say, you, you pass the ball at the 30-yard line anyway. So what's the difference? you just got to put a bounce in there probably without a defender in front of you. So um, I think it's a way we save our horses. Obviously, um, there's a few Australians it's not as natural to yet. So... Um, I think if, if you can, you want to have both. But, um, yeah, definitely there's a lot more ball movement and I love that. I just want to see good flash polar cross and whatever gets the commentator excited and the people people get excited on the sideline and, yeah. When you talk about the racket skills and or being things becoming uh, second nature, just built into to your game where you're confident and, and you're just doing it naturally, you can't really – for World Cup, you have to play the you know, you you're competing against that style, right? And you've you've had experience, you know, you've had coaching from Bruce McClarty. You started young since Lance Anderson was a bull rider. I say he might say you can't ride two bulls with one ass. So do you ever find yourself wanting to do an over an illegal overarm in an you know at a home game and <laughs> having to stop yourself? Or are you throwing a lot of underarm direct passes um, and less of the the crossing the center line yeah so big thing like obviously the backdoor pass that's come into our game massively um the overhand pass in center field obviously a few of the threes would like that but but in the sense of our most of our threes haven't been able to use it yet anyway so i don't i don't think they're missing it yet but we just haven't we haven't really had the opportunity to put that into our game yet the overhand for the threes pass obviously Probably in 2015, I went into the World Cup, and a lot of and a lot of our young players do it, and they and you still hear them say it. Um, is I'll use the overhand as a last last resort, um, but so and that was probably my thought going into the 2015 World Cup. And um, whereas obviously you go there and you get rolled, and you come home and you got to get better and you got to change things. And what a big thing I'd started to do about two years out from the 2019 World Cup was I wanted to have more options than anyone else. So I wanted to be able to score underhand, score overhand, score left, score backhand, score backdoors, do whatever I could. So then every goal is just an option. So if if Australia says, no, we're playing underhand, then overhand's obviously not an option. So you've got to have enough options to mm. score underhand. But then if you get into a World Cup or an international or a high goal situation, you just want to be able to take what's on offer, especially on a borrowed horse or a horse you don't know as well. Um, if you've got an option to score a goal there, you want to be able to score it. Right. And if you're Graham McClarty, you fake an underarm and lob it up over the top. Graham's been the trademark and he's one that I learned probably most of most of my stuff off of over the last six to eight years. So mm-hmm. yeah, he, that's a lovely goal. And yeah, I don't. He doesn't use it as much anymore, but I think you'd be heading back to it um, for the next one at home. I gotta ask, you know, you're 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 a part of this team, and a lot of the players, or I guess every player on the team went to high, went played in high goals, so that was a huge help to to being um, significant. Um, I'll go back to 2011 where I got this shirt. Uh, we we had to play Australia for the third place game. Uh, we didn't win, but. Uh, of course, Sibo at the end had to do an overarm just to rub it in. That was probably the first Aussie overarm ever in a World Cup. I'm just curious because it's so competitive to be an Australian. I mean, I can't even imagine what it's like to make a national team and win nationals. Um, it's such a high level, so many players to compete with. And you guys were, a lot of you were in the high goals. So what, what, what's it going to take for 
Uh, we'll just use maybe Luke Saul for an example. He's a, he's a rock star, left-handed three like me. Um, no, he, what do we say to those young players between now and the next World Cup to make the squad? I mean, it's almost like, how can you learn? How can you be good at that? I don't know, playing against it. Or do you just, I don't know. What's it going to take, yeah, to, to make the next team? Yeah, so, uh, well, it's interesting. I think, um, I think, um, I think Lance is retired, so I think that the door's open there, but who knows, Lance could come back. You never know. Um, Abbott's obviously, Abbott's right, I think, and um, Will, Will's, Will's just getting better and better. Um, he's developed his passing game more. He's, he's winning lineups. He's doing everything like that. So Will might be there as well. Abbott might be there. Hopefully I'm there as well. Um, but And then obviously you got your blokes like Luke Sewell, Matt Davis, and... Um, um, and bloke for light, Luke. So yeah, we're just obviously you'd you'd love to send um, send us all over there and keep developing us against their game. Obviously with COVID, um, so, um, we're not going to maybe get that opportunity, and who knows where COVID's going to take us. But yeah, you just want you want people playing the level, playing, um, and not even so much playing the um, the 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 brand of game. I think I think you can get that brand of game now in Australia, in Africa, in New Zealand, that the, the game's changed to have a lot more awareness for players to have played that sort of brand of game. But um, a massive thing is for our coaches to understand 16-team horse pools and how to rotate your horses and have the strongest horses at the end of the weekend because um, that really comes – that's a massive thing. If you play three six-chucker games and then you've got two eight-chucker games, which probably isn't – isn't that much polo cross compared to a nationals level where you're all on the same horse, but you got to know how to manage those horses and put those horses on the paddock when, um, when, when push comes to shove. And Bruce, you know, he, he faulted himself in, in that final against you. Uh, make, you know, he made some poor decisions that he regrets um, obviously managing the horse pools. I think back to the 2003 world cup, because I'm that old, you know, you look at the Africans and they, they didn't manage their pool very well. They kind of ran through the horses, had some injuries um, that definitely affected it, and they've they've changed over time. What did you learn from 2015 that you're going to do different because you're going to be back on their horses? Obviously, you play a forward horse. I mean, if, if there is such a thing, I know that the horses over there are phenomenal. But what what will you do different, or what will you do the same? Um, I think we did we did so much homework on so Australia because we're such a massive country. We 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 take our top level team to such a professional sort of level we go there and we do fitness and all the stuff like that and um and and this year's team with archers the coach and um obviously obviously there was a standard we had to be to be as fit as we need to be but we worked on our weaknesses a lot more so we worked on stuff like our racket skills we worked on riding a lot of horses we got to zambia we practiced we practiced what was going to win us the world cup and used it like obviously there's a standard we had to follow with our fitness and all the stuff we had to do at home ourselves. But, um, but what we did as a team, we did it as a team. And um, Arch, Lucy, Abbott, they're our vice captains and captains and, um, and the rest of the team. It wasn't, um, it was just very well orchestrated and we talked about what we wanted to do. We had different plans on how we wanted to defend. We had different plans on how we wanted to attack. And obviously we'll try and, We'll try and bring that to Africa as well. Obviously, we're not on our same horses, so we'll have to get over there and um, work out work out what horses we've got. And then, obviously, that's a little bit harder in that because you sort of might have to change your plan on the run, whereas um, we sort of knew leading into 2019 with what pool, what we drew, who was playing where and how it was going to go down um, out of the whole eight. So uh, if you drew pool three, well, we might have been three. If you put, drew pool whatever it might have been Lance or Abbott and all that. So um, from a boy's side of view, and then obviously our girls, our girls have been over there and developing how they ride different horses better. And I think um, our girls will, will um, be another big key to us and they're a massive key to us winning this one. So um, hopefully they just keep developing and um, we keep our racket skills where they need to be and, and have a game plan and ride the horses well enough to, um, put more goals on the board in the, on the final game on Sunday. You talk about how um, 
you, you know, there's different styles and, and you, you, you're getting better and better at each of them. Greg Sargent, you know, it, it didn't really come clear to me because I was like, okay, you got to be on one side of the fence. You got to be whatever. He said, just be good at all of them. Why not? And, you know, that, that really rang true with me. So do you think there's a next level of coaching where if you're good at all the different styles, depending on the horses you get, you can play with whichever style suits the most. And so that's adapt, being able to adapt, because it seems like in the past, every country was sort of set on the way that they did things. Um, they didn't really adapt to the horses as well. You, you'll probably have a much better advantage over 2015 yeah and that's it's it's like anything the game evolves and um you got to learn from our mistakes from 2015 well obviously there's a few young sides there and it was, it was still a great side but we probably just didn't have the exposure of what we've had now so uh, 2015 definitely helped us win the 2019 world cup and i think if we do go on to win in 2023 2015's gonna be helping from there like um there's no reason why we the 2015 team wasn't probably good enough and we had good coaching Troy Henry and that whole team understood the game so well but it's probably just a exposure level to our players to um to not be able to perform as in as well as we did in 2019 but that's that's been put down to South Africa being so good and and obviously we've learned a lot off them over the last eight years and they've been the ones to chase and um Obviously, we'll be still still working hard to um, see what. Um, obviously, I listen to Bruce's podcast, and he's got a few more tricks up his sleeve. So I'll be um, trying to keep an eye on him to make sure make sure he doesn't get too much of an advantage over us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he 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 gave a lot. He's very he's just crazy about the sport, so he's very willing to help. Uh, but he's not willing to say the those couple things that he's going to do. And speaking of that podcast, uh, we we brought up the, the lost tapes from 2017. I don't know if you know anything about that, but I'd love to be able to see that game. Yeah. Well, I wish I could see it too. Um, obviously I didn't play it. Me, Abbott, me and Taylor all didn't play that series, but i tell you what, that was, um, I think actually that series was good not to play. Um, from my point of view, it was good to go there and watch. And like, I feel like when I was younger, I don't know. It's just a. It was just a thing where you, um, it was a thing where you really wanted to. Or yeah, I don't know if it was an envy or yeah, yeah. It was felt. It felt like a hatred towards who you were playing against, and you had to beat them. And it was just a bad attitude. And and I, I sort of feel like I personally took that to Africa. It's like you're not my mate. I got to beat you. Like dude, that was probably my my um. And Graham's me. I'm a good mate of Graham, and we're good friends. So I can say it on ears. I went to the 2015 World Cup like I got to beat you, and you're not my mate till till Sunday night. And obviously, obviously with that attitude, it's the same thing as I've talked about all the way along. It, it clouds your your thought process. It clouds it clouds everything. So going and watching the 2017 series and being able to hang out with all the African boys, hang out with the Australian boys, watch it, understand, watch what's going on work out where we need to improve, where I need to improve and um, change my attitude of how I approach big games and big tournaments. Um, I think it was a massive positive, but yeah, I'd love to see those games again because there was a lot of stuff went on. <laughs> how often do you do, do you get to video your own games and then analyze them? Yeah, well, we video a lot. Like mum will video nearly every game on the weekend just on her phone. So if you want to have a quick look, but like big games, Sarah um, have a video camera out like zones finals and club championships finals that will be on on the yeah. camera but like even even down just in the arena like so what we'll have even today we'll go down there and have it'll be just two on two so it's like half court basketball in the arena and smaller space so we try and get everyone here learning how to create space in a smaller space and so the ball comes in and we video that to um, watch that, talk about it and watch how mainly probably more for how young horses are operating and what's going on because you sometimes don't get as good a feel of what you look like when you're, right. when you're, out, there, when you're out there riding them. Joy Poole used to say, uh, and I'm a Joy boy, I'm just sorry, I keep bringing her name up. She's phenomenal. Vicky Simon said, though, we need to get Daryl Smith on here 
before he dies. Um, so hopefully we can get him on. Uh, hopefully she can get him on. She's going to have to convince him. So if, if anyone out there can help, that would be great. But Joy said that she wasn't willing to coach us if we didn't video because that's the best way to coach is uh, people necessarily don't admit the things they do wrong or willing to accept. And so when you see it on the video, you can't contest it. Uh, watch it in silent. It's not about that foul against you that, you know, you can't take back, but it, getting the good stuff out of it. So that's super valuable. What part of Lucy's game does she need to work on the most? <laughs> Lucy, <laughs> Lucy's game. Oh, well, she fell off and broke her pelvis at the sale. So oh, Jesus. She, yeah, so she needs to start on her horse and not get injured to start with. <laughs> Is that a uh, case of beer? Because that's, that's what we do here. Yeah, 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 definitely. She hasn't been out of buy yet though, because she's still in hospital. Oh um, man. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was a bit of bad luck. She um was getting on and just fell back pretty much like Charlie on the hard ground and just the wrong angle, just yeah, broke two parts of her pelt. So hopefully home today, um, and hopefully no surgery, but um we'll know more this afternoon. <laughs> but um Lucy's going oh Lucy has is to say she's um yeah, she's very, she's very much the complete package. <laughs> Mentally, sometimes I get her to settle down, but that also can take her to another level. Like I think at the World Cup, at the World Cup, she was, she was pissed off with her first two games. Um, she wasn't, wasn't happy at all with them. And then I think then, then like, like when Lucy's in a mood, you just you don't want to talk to her. <laughs> anyway, she yeah. um, comes out on the Thursday night, and um, I think on the Thursday night, I think Australia knew we, we were going to go pretty well in the World Cup when she came out and properly turned it on in that um, Zambian night game. You want to do an exorcism and say, "Give us Lucy back, you devil!" But actually, <laughs> she harnesses that that self-talk right for pain on the other team. So yeah, she, exactly. she has that mental capacity like you do in a different way, probably. But yeah, yeah, just a lot more. Um, yeah, you, you probably see her emotions come out a bit more than me, but um, but that doesn't hold her back in any shape or form. I like she's a top class player at the front, back, or middle. Um, so yeah, I, I can't pick up too much, but. I'll watch her practice when she comes back from her pelvis and I'll send them through to you. <laughs> <laughs> My sister used to beat me up until I was big enough to just sit on her. But yeah, is there anything that uh, you'd say you learned from her? And I know this oh, is hard. This is tough. It's a hard question. No, Lucy has taught me lots, um, even in the in the training aspect of the horses. And um, there's a lot of training stuff that she, she helps me out with my horses. Um, um, and then obviously at a young age, yeah, she helps me. She helped me out a lot as a young age and then that sort of turned over now to me sort of helping her out. I don't know if that's just a, just a, I don't know what it is, but yeah, I just have, I probably think about the game a little bit more than her. Um, but that's why she's a great player. So she just, she just plays and lets her play and do the talking. And um, obviously I, I don't know, I like coaching and helping everyone else out. So right. yeah, I, I like to be there and have, and, try and help the women have a little bit of influence on making sure they get the job done. Yeah. Which yeah. probably get the job done more than us boys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully she'll hear the podcast and feel good about what we said about her. Um, we love you. Lucy. Yeah. Get better fast. Don't, it's don't kill me. <laughs> it's a very funny thing. Um, at the high goal and we were both playing for Land Rover at high goal and, um, Obviously, the McCarty's were with us, like Natalie and Lucy and Paula and me and Graham, and and we had Lance and um, Travis all in there. So it was very, it was very like a club site type sort of thing. So as we had our women, had our men, and had the similar families. And I think um, I don't know what it was. It was one of the girls' chuckers. They went down six nil in the first to a to I don't know. I think it might have been um, Roski or something like that. And they went down six nil in the first. And anyway all us boys are just on edge, like just chewing our nails and shit's going everywhere. <laughs> we're nervous. Like me and Dave over there, Graham's there. We're all nervous and shit's going everywhere. Anyway, that's that's about – that's the game before our final, I reckon, or our final's the next day. At half time, we're down by nine in the men's. And um, there's just 
the digit there was just relaxed and there was nothing going anywhere so you can see the two different um, sides of it yeah <laughs> so it was, yeah the girls are all relaxed that we're all going to be right and the boys are all going nuts <laughs> <laughs> cool but that was a very um that was very well coached by bruce um again i think um he was very smart there he, um put out probably our lesser horses early and build us into a very strong team late and Obviously, you don't want to get down by that many, but um, we got the job done in the end anyway. So it was very, yeah. it was very well coached from the position we're in. I'm on the board of American Polo Cross Association, and we just had a call with Dums and Henry Harris, and we're actually trying to have our own high goal next year. Yeah, nice. We're working towards that, and the vision would be to, um, if you know, if New Zealand keeps up theirs, South Africa, maybe Zim or Zam we could have a series throughout the year and we could even have a point system like they do world polo tour. So that's sort of my vision is if we can get it, if we can get it done, first off, um, I think we can bring in these top players and then there can be a circuit. That would just be the greatest. It'd be great for our country to, to have so many players coming in, but if we, if we could do it around the world. Yeah. hundred percent. That'd be, that'd be the dream for all the, all the top level players. And obviously it gives everyone, um, Everyone in those countries a good look at what's going on all around the world, and it'll only develop the whole game. So yeah, I'm I'm all for those sort of things, and all for like your podcast that we've got going on here, and just getting more people talking. And yeah, it's great. Well, the last thing I want to talk about, I appreciate your time. Tell everyone how you met Katie. <laughs> yeah, well, so what we did was Lucy was playing for Australia, and Katie was playing for New Zealand in. Um, 2014 I just thought I'd better help Lucy's team out and take the opposition's mind off the game so, <laughs> so uh, that's where it all started so yeah me and Katie met up there for the first time and then the year after um I got Katie to come and work for us um yeah she was only a worker for probably about two weeks and then snapped her up and took to took her to the 2015 World Cup and Thought I'd blown it because we obviously finished third. <laughs> she's going to be out. Um, but, um, no, she's stuck strong. So, <laughs> no, going well. And, um, yeah, so that's how that, that all came about. I have my Queenstown cup uh, here, my coffee oh, yeah. cup. Yeah, my wife and I went to South Island in February for a honeymoon. Um, didn't get to North Island, but um, – what are the, how are Aussies and Kiwis different? Because she might have some, does she have some bad habits as a Kiwi that, <laughs> that you tried to, you're trying to get rid of? Is she less refined than you? Or? <laughs> nah, I don't, I'll probably get in big trouble if I said anything. <laughs> nah, um, uh, nah, no, Kiwis, it's actually been, yeah, it's real, it's real good. Like Kiwis are a lot more relaxed than Australians. So I get the Mickey taken out of me a bit when I go over there. Yeah. Is, uh, obviously, you know what Australians are like and then, the Kiwis are nice and laid back, so nah, nah, she's good. <laughs> well, you could be playing polo cross year round because you know the Kiwis are playing right now, so yeah, that's a great yeah. thing to have. Um, yeah, well, we just can't get there, it's the only problem at the moment. Um, but otherwise, we generally do. We, um, me and Katie go over and play over there for sort of two or three weekends, um, early in the year, and then we've obviously got to get back because Barrish Stock's always on in April, and then we've got to hopefully our men's silver stirrup, um on this year as well. So that's going to be a similar high goal sort of thing as well. So mm. it'll be um, interesting, but we've got to get our 20 horses in work for that. Yeah. So what are your expectations for this year? You just said some big events that are going on. Uh, yeah, well, definitely um, after the weekend, everyone's charged. So um, hopefully we're having a bit of trouble. Um, we're not sure if New South Wales is sending teams to Barristop yet. Um, so that's, we're just trying to work that out. Obviously, our guns want to go there and we want to play obviously to get ready for the Ballarat nationals in 2022. Um, and then, so that'll be what, that'll be the first thing. And then um, the next one's obviously the silver stirrup, which is um, like a high goal thing. You mix it, you, you, you get to pick a team and you got to fit yourselves under um, 45 points for five players and, or something like that. I'm not sure the exact things. And then you have an under 18 player that each team's got to have an under 18 player as like a rising star so try and get team sorted for that and then um and then obviously the usuals clubs and zones later in the year which are pretty big events and then um obviously we'll um we'll head up to the swan cup as well so yeah big enough year but um obviously it'd be 
good if the borders are open, we could be heading back to Africa and um, all them in the high goals, the New Zealand high goal and all that. But yeah. uh, see what happens. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, that's all I have for questions. I appreciate your time. There, there's a lot of, a lot of the gems in here. So just to hear the way you, you approach the game, the way you train horses, you're obviously the top of your game, but you seem to have a lot of humility as well. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I appreciate that. That's great. Thanks again. You have a great day. Is there anything else exciting going on? Or? No, I don't think so. Oh, um, not, not on the spot anyway. Got to head back to footy train tonight. So oh, okay. that's going to be a tough one. Um, but no, just the only exciting thing is um, just, yeah, just get back in and play the sport again. Hopefully that's the biggest thing. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, but yeah, hopefully, you know, Lucy gets better. She doesn't, you know, cramp your style too much being laid up. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Well, um, I've got, uh, I've got Abbott for another year. So our numbers have dropped off a little bit, but yeah. Um, would have it for another another year so hopefully get the most out of him and we'll have another good fun year this year yeah awesome hopefully lucy comes good yeah well say hi to your parents for me all right cheers thanks for listening to this episode what a pleasure it was to spend some time with jim grills what a phenomenal person he's full of class he's full of humility and he's full of so much knowledge and thoughtfully gave us perspective on the game cheers to him yo i need your help on two things Firstly, I'm trying to make a master calendar of polo cross tournaments for 2021. Please send me them as your associations create them. I'd not only like to use this calendar to announce the upcoming polo cross tournaments, but I'd also like your tournament results recorded on my sidebar voicemail button on my website. Wouldn't it be cool to have your tournament results announced on the podcast? Let's recognize the success of our players and trick the polo cross world, yo. Secondly, I'm trying to gather some marketing data, trying to get associations membership numbers from 2017 to 2019 broken down by senior and junior members i reached out to each association with very little feedback how many players are there in the polo cross world do you know thanks in advance for your help please email me at ryan at polocrossmadesimple.com or leave me a voicemail polocrossmadesimple.com by clicking the sidebar voicemail button. Thank you very much. Here on Chucka Talk, we appreciate your feedback. Have you enjoyed the show? Do you have questions or comments? Please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. For a chance to be featured on the show, leave a voicemail by finding the Send Voicemail Sidebar button on polacrossmadesimple.com. For more Polacross coaching, go to polacrossmadesimple.com. You'll find ebooks on how to become a great player and even on how to become a great coach. Find me on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a good one. Mm-hmm.